Uh, Jack, Jack, quick moment of your time, please. How does it feel to finally discover the Villa Talks podcast? Um, best day of my life. Great, there you have it. Back to you at the studio. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Villa Talks podcast. My name is Omar and I am your host. Delighted to be joined by two very special guests today uh, to talk about all things Villa. Welcome Chadzi, how are you doing? Very well, thank you Omar. Excited uh, to be here for the first episode. Looking forward to getting stuck into a bit of Villa chat. Good lad, good lad. Jugzi, how are you doing? Our second guest today. Yeah, I'm good, thanks Alms. Yeah, looking forward to talking all things Villa. Uh, very exciting times um, this week, obviously, with the transfers. Uh, and I'm expecting more in the coming weeks. Good, good, good. Yes, we'll be talking all things transfer this podcast, our very first episode. We'll be talking about our new signings that have come into, come into Villa Park already. Talk about potential upcoming signings, uh, but also look at the season ahead as well uh, and, and, and get the thoughts of our guests on how we think we're going to do this season as well. But a packed show for you. For you today, uh, but before we start and get in, right into it, I thought, as this show is very much about our guests, and the plan is to have a variety of different guests across the fan base, both as fans, but also people within the industry who happen to be with the fans, to give you some excellent insight to what goes on. I thought the best place to be to start would be to actually find out a little bit more about the guests, and 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 how how best to do that. Well, let's talk about Villa, obviously. So the first question I'd like to ask you both, Chad, if I can start with you. As we're talking about transfers, and this is an episode mainly focused on the transfer window, can you just tell me the first signing that you really got excited about that Villa made uh, in recent history that really got you, you know, got your juices flowing, got you excited for the season? Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So um, my first Villa game was in 1993. Um, I was five years old at the time. And so obviously most of the signings uh, towards the mid to late 90s was probably a little bit too young to remember in terms of really getting excited about them. But the one that does stand out for me is when we signed Paul Merson. Um, I just remember being excited, knowing how good a player he was, having watched him play a lot um, throughout the years for, for other teams, but also just understanding the impact he was going to have on the club, both from a playing perspective, but also off the field as a leader, as somebody that's been there, done it had plenty of off-field issues and would be a good shoulder to lean on for younger players. So I I just remember being excited about Paul Merson and the impact he was going to have on the club. And obviously, he went on to have a a pretty uh, good Villa career and gave us some really exciting times um, under under Gregory and and later on. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it was uh, 98. Uh, He came in the autumn of 98, I think it was. I think I remember watching a, a recent game of, uh, of Villas on YouTube and it was actually probably Merson's last game for Middlesbrough before he joined us. And I think it was the week after we just saw Dwight York and we were struggling up front and Merson was playing for Middlesbrough. I think we won the game 3-1, but he, he definitely stood out that day for Middlesbrough as one of their best players. Scored some great goals as well for Villa, didn't he? A lot of long-range efforts. And I remember that goal against Cov um, on the last day of the season that Eventually, he did send them down. I think, although they claim, although they claim it didn't, still. But uh, that was a great day at Villa Park, and Merson stands out for me in that time. The, probably the best, most right-footed player I've ever seen. I think 
Exactly. Uh, yeah. Definitely one of the best players I've seen of Villa. Could, could 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 cross the ball from anywhere, even though he was always on his right foot. I don't know how he did it, but yeah, there's only two player. two players I've ever seen do that: run down the left wing and then whip it in with the uh, outside of their right foot. It was Mercer, and then uh, Veron. In the, when Veron came to the Premier League, he did start to do that for United, but pretty unique. And Chadzi yourself in your heyday as well, mate. Huh? Yeah, yeah, but a bit bit more two footed, I'd say. <laughs> Jokesy, what about what about you? What was the first what's the first signing that you got really excited for? Um I think the nineties were great for signings, especially with strikers. So I'm going for Juan Pablo Angel, I think. Um quite an exotic name. And at that time obviously it was our record fee. Um so that was pretty exciting. I remember um obviously getting linked with him um when he was at River Plate and we were quite excited. Uh, I think he had one and two goal record then. And um, there were a lot of players coming over from South America. And I remember in the 90s, especially, watched a lot of uh, Italian football. And uh, they had an influx of sort of Argentinian and Brazilian players. So for us, as a club of a club like Villa, to get a, a pedigree player like, of, of Juan Pablo Angal was pretty exciting. And uh, he's a striker that um, initially, obviously, took him time to bed in. Um, yeah, took him a season. Obviously, he got that goal against, against Kov. Uh, which I think turned it around for him because uh, he was struggling up until that point. Um, I think it was hard for him to settle in with his family. But when he got that goal and that new season, um, he was obviously a great goal scorer for us. Could do everything, really. Um, it was great in the air for, for a small guy. Linked up play pretty well and, uh, yeah, a, a good finisher. So, um, yeah, great memories of Juan Pablo and Gal. And, um, yeah, probably the most exciting player for me. How about you, Holmes? Who who's the one that got got you out your seat when you're a bit younger? Yeah, I don't know. I think well, as I'm slightly older than you by a year or two, I think I'm going to go a little bit earlier than Juan Pablo Agüero and Merson. Uh, and I'm going to say the first one I really remember that I got really excited for was probably Stan Collymore. Yeah. Now I remember back at that time. I think one of my earliest games of going to Villa was watching Nottingham Forest versus Villa when they beat us, and Stan Collymore played for Forest then. And he looked just looked phenomenal that day. Uh, and I remember him playing for Liverpool and obviously scoring those goals against Newcastle. Uh, and then all the rumours started going that he was going to come to Villa and he was a massive Villa fan. And I thought at that time when Brian Little in charge, I thought that was going to be the signing that's going to take us over the line and get us near that sort of tight opposition that we were looking to aim towards. Yeah. Which is crazy, crazy to think about now, really. But back then, you know, we had a really exciting team. Brian Little had completely revamped the team, you know, gone for a much younger demographic, let's put it that way, of players compared to the, uh, the, uh, the Big Ron area. Yeah. That was the first sign I got really excited for. Unfortunately, obviously, it didn't work out and, and largely it was terrible. And obviously, a lot of off-the-field off issues there. That, that night uh, against Atletico Madrid stands out still, though, doesn't it? And that goal in front of the whole end. One of my favourite nights. Uh, I remember watching it on Channel 5 and I remember him scoring and him tapping the badge, getting the crowd up. It was just phenomenal. Even though we didn't go through, that, I still remember that game. And, and just... The, the memories of that, the feeling you had when you scored, and if only, yeah, if only Lee Hendry had uh, put it a few inches wider when he had that chance near the end, you know, we would have gone through that, that game. That game is the night that got me hooked. I was lucky enough to be there with my family. We were in the Doug Ellis lower, just towards the Holt end, so we saw all the action in that second half. And quite young at the time, but just the explosion of noise and the atmosphere that night. I think that's that's what got me hooked on the Villa. So. Collie Moore uh, resonates with me as well. Yeah, yeah. You don't get that feeling anywhere else, really, do you, when it comes to football? Uh, it's fantastic. But yeah, no, some really in- that's really interesting. Thank you for that, both of you. I think that's uh, a good nostalgic look at 
uh, sort of years gone by. Uh, but obviously, this episode is all, all about what's happening now uh, and going forward. And I suppose probably the best place to start is the, the game against Burton Albion on, on Tuesday, which was an interesting affair. Uh, obviously, we managed to get through, although we left it quite late to get those last two goals. But we did the job in the end. Uh, and it was quite a professional performance, I thought. Chadzi, did you, did you manage to watch the game? And if you did, what did you think of the, the performance overall? Yeah, I did. And uh, it was similar to what I was expecting, really, in terms of the lineup he started with. It was a, a strong team without being full strength and strong enough to get the job done, really. Obviously, conceding early on wasn't ideal and not the, not the perfect start to the season we, we were looking for. But I uh, I was confident that we, we'd have enough of the ball and it, eventually our, our pressure would tell. And that, that was the case in the end, I think. It was when you when the team came in at the start of the night. You probably looked at our midfield three of Ramsey, Nakamba, and Lansbury as potentially being the the weaker areas of the team. But I think we were always going to have enough on the night. To be honest, without the crowd, I think playing away at Burton when it's a full house and they're on top of you, and you know there's not hundreds of thousands of people there, of course, but that that's a potential banana skin. But I think with with no fans in the stadium, and it's going to be a bit of a theme for the whole season. We were. We were always going to overpower them, I think. Um, like I said, not an ideal start to the game. Um, don't think there was much blame for the goal. Maybe Almo could have been a bit more switched on, marking marking the man at the back, back stick rather than space. But I think that would be quite harsh to criticise the defence, really, for that. Do you think uh, Taylor could have done more initially? Because he seemed to duck ahead early on, I thought. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it all happened quite quickly, didn't it? It was a, it was a well-worked goal. Sometimes you just got to put your hands up and say that's a good goal I don't think that there's too much we can criticise from a defensive perspective but we grew into the game after that we ended up with 70% possession um, and we worked the goal really well in, in the first half didn't we the equaliser Jack doing doing what he does and attracting three or four men uh, confusing everyone including Neil Taylor with that little flick, flick ball through with the outside of his boot and really impressed by Ollie Watkins already the United game last week and uh, a couple of the areas he got into against Burton. He just seems to have that, uh, the killer instinct to be at the right place at the right time. And, you know, I don't want to get too carried away and get too excited too soon, but he definitely got that killer instinct and scoring so many goals in the championship and most of them being from that central area. It's, it's a great start for him to see him getting on the end of those those balls across the front of the box. Um, yeah. The second half was one-way traffic and, um, you know, it looked like at one stage it, it was going to go to penalties, but a bit of magic from Jack, a, a superb volley, a really good way to obviously celebrate that exciting news that we're all so buzzing about around the new contract. And again, delighted for Keenan as well to start the season with a goal. I'm, I still I still think he's uh, got the potential to be a really good player and uh, a bit of confidence from an early goal will hopefully see him still in and around the first team this season. What do you make of uh, Jacob Ramsey's performance, especially in the first half? I thought he, he was he, he acquitted himself really well. I thought in the first half. Yeah, really encouraging debut, isn't it from from Jacob Ramsey? I think he looked confident. He looked like he had a bit of quality on the ball and plenty of legs, as you'd expect from a young lad. So, but you know, how many times over over the years have we seen somebody graduate from the academy and have a couple of good games and and we never see them again? So, you know, if he plays five or six times in the Premier League this season, then that'll be a great season for him. So hopefully we'll we'll see more of him as, as the season progresses because I think we will need to use the squad a lot more this year because of the the uh, shortened period of the season. 
Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point, I think. Uh, and, and it was interesting to see Lansbury come back in as well. Uh, and I thought on the ball, he was, you know, he played really well. He passed the ball around, spread it well. But I think off the ball is where his limitations were pretty evident and, and probably why I imagine he'll, he'll probably end up either leaving uh, this window or, or probably being a bit part player this season and, and leaving on a free next year. But but overall, I thought you know, I'd agree with that uh, summary. I think I think we played fairly well. It's quite a professional performance. One one thing that did uh, strike out to me straight away was how much we still played everything through Jack, uh, and the apparent you know I still think there's an, a, a, a real need for some real quality in the the front three positions uh, with the signings that we make. What do you think on Jack, that Jugsy? Do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, of course. I mean, when you got a player like Jack, it's difficult not to get get the ball to him at every occasion, really. But we need to develop our tactics this season. I think um, post lockdown, we found a lot of teams were sort of man marking or even having two men on Jack, and that sort of limited his opportunity to create uh, any chances for for the others, really. And um, that's an a, an area I think Smith uh, is looking to address. Um, there's obviously rumours on a couple of wingers that we're looking to get in. Um, so I think we might see Jack moving back into central midfield, which will definitely help because um, you can obviously have a bit more space from and create and affect the game a bit more from there. And at least it gives us an option on the wings that it's not reliant on just Jack to create chances. Um, if we can get the profile of player of uh, someone like Rashika, for example, he's got that ability um, of Jack, I'd say. Obviously, probably not the same level, but he's definitely a player that will excite me and excite the Villa fans. Um He's very direct, um, can play anyway in the front three positions. And he's a player that I think could could really uh, benefit the team as a whole. I think it, I think it's a really obvious thing to say. But, you know, Jack clearly attracts two, three, sometimes four defenders every time he's got the ball. So we need quality in other, other areas of the pitch that can make the most of the space he creates for them. And obviously then if we've got quality in other areas of the pitch that, people are going to have to balance out who they defend, who they mark, and hopefully then Jack will have subsequently more space. It's it's, it's a really obvious point, but we, once we have strength in those wide areas and, and maybe another central player to bolster that midfield, I'm really excited about the potential of Grealish going, getting to another level this season without having three or four men on him all the time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know it was Burton Albion, but it definitely seemed that Grealish stepped up another level in that game. Um, yeah. He looked much quicker, much stronger, uh, and much better on the ball, if I can, if I can even say that, which is ridiculous to sound considering how good he was last season. But I've just got a feeling, and I agree with Chadzi, I think he's going to step up another level. And he will only get better with better players around him, obviously. And, and I think you saw that with Watkins, although you know he missed a fairly easy chance in the first half, um, you know, and he'd hoped to put that away normally. I think still think what was encouraging from him was his hold-up play, uh, was, was, his, was his first touch in and around the box. You know, I think that's key as well to, to link up play. You know, because he's—I think he's about five foot eleven, six foot. So he's not the tallest of players, but he seems strong enough and quick enough to get the ball under control quite quickly and link the play up. And more importantly than than anything else, is he gets in those positions to to finish the the move off, which is something we were really lacking last year. You know, we created I think the six most chances in the league, uh, and without without putting them away. So hopefully that will be one area that we do improve on. And I've just I've just seen news come in that uh, Samata is apparently. Um, Agreed terms with Fenerbahce, um, so it looks like he might be moving on. So potentially there may be some more movement uh, in the transfer window in terms of uh, a striker coming in. So I guess we will see. So uh, overall, the Burton game, you know, I think you know from what Chadzi said, it's it, you know seemed like a pretty professional performance. 
Jack was the main difference uh, in the end. And, and Jacob Ramsey had a, a pretty good game, I thought, and, and quite encouraging game. Uh, and then Keenan Davis, you know, got his goal, which he I think he much needed uh, for him. So now we move on to the next round, which I think is against Bristol away. So we look forward to having that game. And again, there's a bit of needle there, which seems to be the case with a lot of teams in the Championship and the Premier League for Villa for some reason, uh, probably because we're so massive. Yeah, if you've got no haters arms, you're not nothing special. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of different fan bases are coming for Villa at the minute, especially the promoted teams, Leeds, Fulham and West Brom. So I think uh, we're looking forward to them games this season. Uh, it'd be good to get one over them. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, and we we'll, we'll might touch upon them a little bit later. We obviously don't want to talk about too much about Leeds because, well, this is a Villa podcast, but I think uh, they're going to be. It's going to be an important theme throughout the season in terms of the newly promoted teams and how they do, and how we compare. So uh, we'll definitely touch upon that later on the show. Before we just go into transfers and, and talk about uh, players in, players out. Uh, just, just quickly, Chadzi, if I can get your thoughts on Grealish signing his new contract. Was it ever in doubt or, or did you think it was 50-50? Oh, it was definitely in doubt. I mean, if, if you'd have said to me six months ago Grealish would be a Villa player on October the 1st, I, I would have probably probably laughed. I think I've always been one. I've been a huge supporter of Jack Grealish ever since he made his debut against Hull. I said he'd go on to be an England player. I love what he's done for the club. I love how much he loves the club. And I just think he's an absolutely brilliant footballer. The amount of times I've come away from Villa Park, even when we've lost games and all been thrashed and just looked at you lads and said, watching Jack was worth the money. It's worth the entrance fee alone. He's a genuinely a joy to watch. And the fact that he loves the club just as much as us makes it extra special. So honestly, I'm absolutely buzzing that he signed the contract. Clearly there's going to be a release clause in there. And if he has a, Another great season will probably be in a, a similar position this time next summer. But it feels like a bonus season for us to have him and it shows a great statement of intent from the Villa board and, and support for Dean Smith in, in the project really for a, a player of his stature, um, an international player now who's um, one of the best in the league in my opinion to commit to the club. Absolutely brilliant and um, it, it just shows what an exciting season it could be for us. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, Chad, you know, you, I know you've always rated him, although his, I think his debut was against Man City, not Hull. But I'll let you off there because I know you've always said he's going to be a player. Jugsy, you've always rated, you've always rated Jack, haven't you? Yeah, I've yeah, I've been following him uh, since his youth, youth days, and I even followed him when he's at Notts County on loan. I think you're trying to give me a bit of stick here, Arms, but I think at one stage I said that he needed to, to put the extra work in. Um, to make the most of his ability. So I think he struggled, obviously, when we got relegated in that f- season under Sherwood. And um, I didn't doubt his ability or talent. I just said, look, of someone of that ability, he needs to do in the extra hour in training, working on his shooting, work on, working on his dribbling, working on his fitness, because I thought he probably wasn't physically fit enough to last 90 minutes in the Premier League. Um, he obviously took that on board and uh, resurrected his career, I'd say. So he's potentially got you to thank for, for his England cap? Potentially. I mean, I'm not sure if he's follows me on Twitter, but uh, I did put a tweet out there saying, look, Jack, uh, ability can only take you so far. You need to put the hard work in if you want to be as good as Andres Iniesta, as Gabby would say. Yes. Well, 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 let's quickly touch upon Gabby. But just before that, Jugsy, are you still blocked by Andrew Green? Yeah, um, to be honest. I know I'm quite opinionated and um, sometimes I do get emotional after results. And uh, I know it's a bit childish, but I do like to maybe go directly and comment on the players' profiles occasionally. And uh, I thought with Andre Green, I said, look, he's got the ability, but just wrong decision-making. 
never going to make it at the top level and uh, his career has gone downhill again since then. So uh, maybe there's something in that, guys. Far too emotional. Far too emotional. But Gabby, just quickly before we touch on transfers, Gabby's having a right laugh being a pundit, isn't he? He's been riling up opposition fans left, right and centre. He fits the talk sport model perfectly, doesn't he? He's the absolutely ideal talk sport employee. Send out a few, send out a few rods, get a few people caught on the end of that line and get the calls and texts and interaction on social media coming in. And, you know, half of what he says, it sounds like it's tongue in cheek, but I do actually think he believes what he's saying. And a lot of what he said about Villa in the last week or so, those that do know the club and know, know the, the sort of ambition and, and in statements of intent we've, we've had in recent weeks, you know, you can't argue against him, I don't think, with a lot of what he's been saying, despite the fact it does sound like he's uh, fishing for uh, fishing for abuse. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think yeah, I think people take it out of context what he said. You know, he said he reminds him of Iniesta. Like, he's not actually at that level, but he definitely does remind you of the way he moves and dribbles with the ball and the way he, he feints with his body. You know, he does play a little bit like him. And then he's talking about Villa potentially challenging for Europe and being the next Leicester. But what he's saying the next Leicester is basically it means baking, breaking the top four, which I you know, I think you've got to have ambitions. What's the point of being in football if you're not ambitious? Uh, you know, you might as well be like Burnley or or Palace and, and just try and stay in the league and, and sort of cement your position. If you're just going to cement your position, you're going to end up getting relegated, I think. So you've got to aim high. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I agree with that. Perfect. Well, thanks thanks for that, boys. So on transfers then, we, we touch upon transfers just quickly. Uh, obviously, cash. Watkins and Martinez have, have, have come in the door. Potentially Bertrand Traore awaiting a work permit should be the next one in. And potentially Rashika as well is another name that's been linked sort of on and off transfer akin to Kiyotake and Belhanda all those years ago. Jugsy, if I, if I can come to you on quickly on uh, on Bertrand Traore before we talk about the players already come in. What are your thoughts on that potential signing? Obviously, it's been a, a sort of a mixed review from Leon fans. Uh, mostly seems to be quite negative about him, but but would you would you take that face value, or do you think there's more to it than that? I think there is more to it. Uh, wingers always divide opinion due to the nature of their inconsistency. So um, I would be judging him uh, more on his performances and and obviously when he's in a Villa shirt rather than what Leon fans have got to say. Um, I can see why we're in for him um, because he's exactly the type of profile of winger that I think we needed in the club. I think it's always nice to have a a left footed right winger. Um, just helps with the balance um, of, of our attack, really, because last season I thought we were too one-dimensional uh, with Trezeguet and Algazi on the right. Um, they were pretty similar and always looking to go on the outside. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with, with with what we're trying to do in terms of buying uh, a left-footed type player. I think obviously Jota was part of the squad last season, but he didn't bring enough quality um, on the pitch, really, in terms of ability and also lacked the physical capabilities needed in the Premier League. Um, so I think with Traore, if I'm basing him, basing my judgment on his ability, then I'm, I'm pretty happy because he has got the talent for sure. Um, he's had a good goal-scoring record um, during his time at Lyon, and especially at Ajax as well, where he was on loan from Chelsea. Um, obviously, his stats have sort of deteriorated, really. Uh, but this season, he's been out of favour a lot because of change of system from Lyon. Um, we've gone for more of the wing-back system and um, he's obviously surplus to requirements in that. Um, they do have a couple of wingers who are very similar in terms of uh, ability and same sort of physical 
capabilities um, and they've managed to to turn into wing backs where Truro really hasn't been able to do that. Um, so he's not played and he wasn't part of their, their Champions League run-in um, where they were pretty successful in reaching the semi-finals against Bayern. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing him play. Um, I will be giving him an opportunity to get settled. Obviously, he's played in England before as he came through Chelsea's youth youth ranks. So we'll know the league, know the language, which will be essential really to get him um, yeah, get him a flying start. Um, in terms of what type of player he is, I think he's a quite physical, a quite physical winger from when I've seen him play. So he does rely quite heavily on his left foot. So he'll always be coming back back onto his left left foot, but can manipulate space in tight areas. Um, so he always finds a way to wiggle through. Um, and he's not one that I would say would be going on back onto his right or, or getting past the defender on the on his on his right numerous times or anything. I think um he will be cutting in and creating that space for the overlap, which will be essential for Matty Cash, I think, because we've got great hopes with Matty Cash uh, on an on um, on an attacking basis. So I think if we can get create that space for Matty Cash uh, on the overlap, um Troy will help do his job and will also help um giving us a bit more flexibility in our, in our attack. Brilliant, yeah. And also, what do you think about his pace? Obviously, an area that we were lacking last year was was pace on the counter attack. Albeit, we've got you know fairly quick players in Trezeguet and Garzi. Uh, they didn't seem ever to be explosive in their pace when it came to counter attacking football. Yeah, as I mentioned, Troy is a bit more physical. Um, yeah, his upper body's probably a bit more built than uh, Garzi and Trezeguet. So I'm expecting him to be able to get past the the wing back or the full back and. Uh, yeah, he's quick enough. He's got that that yard, um, that yard of pace probably needed at this level. Um, so I'm expecting a bit more from him in terms of taking players on, having that ability to cut inside and uh, drift in field as well. Um, he has played a bit central as well, I think, uh, for Leon and a couple of times for Ajax where he scored quite a few goals. So he has that uh, versatility as well, which will which will be essential um, as we look to sort of rarely attack and not to be too predictable. Um, so yeah, I think it's one that I think we are overpaying. Where we, I think the rumored transfer value is anything between fifty million euros to twenty million euros. So I do feel like that's on the high side based on his performance of the last season. But if we're judging him as a player uh, on the previous few years, I think that's 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 reasonable um, given what's out there in in the European market at the minute. So. It'd be an interesting one to see how he develops, but he's definitely got the talent and ability. It's like with any winger, it's whether we can get some consistency out of him and hopefully Smith can do that. Yeah, no, that's interesting point. And a point you made there around, you know, his flexibility and the different positions he can play. I think I think that's going to be a common theme amongst the forward positions. You know, we've seen, obviously, we brought Watkins in, linked to Bertrand Torre and Rashika, linked to Josh King as well. All these types of players who can both play on the wing and up front as well. So I think there may be a... And this is something Smith alluded to before: is is the way Liverpool play with the interacting forwards, uh, and sort of uh, you know players switching positions and and having that flexibility up front, which I think we will see hopefully this season. Which you know I think one thing we were definitely missing last season was a bit of movement ahead of Jack, uh, and good movement of that, and hopefully that's what we will see with these new signings. Uh, Bertrand Traore, another player that, uh, and it's a common theme among signings, is another player that sort of started in England, has some sort of pedigree in England, uh, albeit limited. Uh, there was a big focus, it seems, on English-based players uh, coming into the to the to the club and hitting the ground running. Uh, we had the issue with Douglas Louise obviously last year coming in quite late uh, and taking time to settle in, and then ending up, you know, being probably our best player 
post-COVID. Uh, I think Smith was quite keen to bring in players who were able to adapt and, and, and sort of fit into the system and fit into the English football league quite quickly. And, and I think with Bertrand Traore, that we get that because obviously he was, he was at Chelsea before. I think Chelsea put him in, in a, uh, quite a well-known school. I think it's called the Whitgift School uh, in Surrey uh, to help him learn English and adapt to England, uh, which I think will help. Uh, him him coming into the team quite late on into pre-season, just before the pre-season. Uh, and again, uh, like I say, a theme that we've seen with the other signings as well, Martinez, Cash and Watkins. We've touched upon Watkins already uh, uh, and, uh, you know, talking about his attributes. Matty Cash is another signing that we made. Obviously, didn't play or uh, didn't feature against Burton Albion. What do you make of that signing, Chadzi? Uh, an interesting one, uh, an area that I didn't think we'd... Uh, would need to, to reinforce, but an area that, that seems to be our, our, well, not a priority, but the first time that we made. What do you think he'll bring to the team and, and are you surprised at his signing? Uh, no, it's a signing I really like, to be honest. Um, very much in the Dean Smith mould, a young, talented player that has a, seems to have a good attitude, a good work ethic, gets around the pitch and somebody that Smith and Villa can, can develop. He's the right age at 23 to push on now to the next level of his career and obviously one that Forest fans think very highly of, which is which is a key indicator for me of of both character and and obviously quality on the pitch. He, he was Forest Player of the Season last year, and I think probably what's maybe gone under the radar a bit is his versatility. He's actually only played half of his games for Forest at right back. Um, half of his starts were at right back, um, and he's played right wing. He's played a bit at left back, so could potentially cover there. But one potential option I see him for Villa is is his versatility. He can bring us another option in midfield as well. Um, I'll potentially see him being cover for or an option instead of McGinn in that box-to-box role. High-energy player, uh, good tackler, box-to-box, gets around the pitch and he's good for a goal as well. He Three goals last year for Forrest, five assists, um, one key pass per game on average and in the top five tacklers in the whole league last year in the Championship. So, He's got a bit of everything about him, it seems. And like I said, the perfect age now for Villa to develop him in, into a quality player, whether that's at right back as an option or instead of Gilbert as an option on, on the wing, obviously, um, as another attacking option or somebody else that can compete for one of those central midfield spots. So really excited about seeing Matty Cash. He's one that I've said to you a few a few times in the last few years when I've watched him play that he's really impressed me. So I think it's a good bit of business in two or three years' time, 14, 15 million or, or whatever it is we've paid. We'll, we'll look a snip, I think. Yeah, and no, I think he you know, acquitted himself against Man United in the pre-season friendly. Uh, definitely high energy. That was you know, quite apparent. And another thing I think he'll bring to the team is his, is his height. Uh, so I think he's about six foot one or six foot. Yeah. Um, so you know, those, those goals at the back post, which we did see, uh, especially I'm thinking back now against Watford when, when Deeney scored uh, at home to us. Uh, there's a few other goals like that, you know. I think we we did. I think Dean Smith's bought a bit of height there at the back, and his cash Matty Cash is quite decent in the air as well, which will bring a bit of more solidity at the, the, the back four. Hopefully, defensively, um, I think against Man United, uh, there was a two or three times where I, th- I thought he could have done better, and there was one instance where he made quite a, quite a rash challenge and, and in a league game, you know, it could have been maybe close to a red. Um, do you think he'll make that step up defensively? Because uh, obviously his attacking instincts are, are for their, their for all to see, but defensively, obviously, is going to be where he's tested. Yeah, I think um, if you put any defender into the Aston Villa pre-COVID team last season, they would have struggled and they would have looked like potentially they've they've got a lot of learning to do. I think it's all about the unit. 
if you put a defender into uh, the team post-COVID and the team we saw after lockdown that improved massively, then I think a talented enough player could slot into that back four easily. So I think it's, it's very easy to criticise individuals, but the defence is a team a team strategy. It's all about how we work as a unit and, and obviously those central defenders and a commanding goalkeeper are critical to that. So with... Um, a new experienced goalkeeper, a, a much more settled centre-back partnership um, and hopefully um, a better team in front of him in midfield. I think he's got every chance to have a really good season for Villa, assuming he does play it right back for us. Yeah, no, you make a good point there about the goalkeeper as well. Obviously, Martinez coming in. Uh, a fee that we probably would have, six months ago, would have seemed a ridiculous amount. Uh, but now, since his sort of last 10, 15 games for Arsenal, uh, seems like a, a fairly good deal. Obviously, it's a it's a wait and see as it is with all transfers. You know, he's he's had a good purple patch, but encouraging signs there that we've signed a keeper who is ready to be first choice for a top four, top six club, potentially coming straight into the Villa team and competing for that number one spot. Uh, and also, I think the other thing is with with Martinez is although he's had a purple patch definitely for Arsenal, he has done well previously in loan spells at Reading and Wolves, and and fans there speak highly of him. So. Hopefully, we've managed to bring in a, a really decent keeper there uh, with Heaton's injury as well. We're not sure when he'll be back and it may be a bit of a fight for him to get his number one spot back. Uh, yeah, so uh, interesting times, definitely. And we'll see what the window brings. We'll definitely be covering the, the window in, in future podcasts. And, and I think it's been an in, interesting window, obviously, early on in the season, in pre-season, sorry. It was, um, I think a lot of fans had a little, little bit of a wobble, me including. Uh, I think we were slightly concerned being linked with names like Jeff Hendrick, uh, James McCarthy, obviously the rumoured move for Callum Wilson as well. Uh, it didn't seem to fit our, fit our strategy, but I think the names that have come in seem to make sense uh, and will add, definitely add something to our squad. I think there's a definite plan there. I think these owners um, are a bit different to what we've used to in recent times with Dr Tony and, and Randy Lerner. I mean, they're serious, successful businessmen. So they knew last season we were quite fortunate to stay up and uh, Obviously, a lot of the transfers didn't really pay off, and uh, but we had to buy volume over quality, really. So, I think this season um, they don't want to make the same mistake, so they're going to be putting um, a serious amount of investment into the team and looking at the long term, really. Um, so, not buying players just for a stopgap a season or two. We want these players to be Villa players for the next four or five, six years, uh, even with some players being able to have a big resale value. So, I think. We've got a plan as a club. Um, having Langer come in as the as the new sporting director, I think that will help um, in terms of um, just redeveloping our, our future transfer plans. Yeah, I think I'm, you know I'm confident Villa will have learned their lesson from last season. I think there's a lot of clamour to get the business done early, but I don't think any team is going to have their business done early given the, the situation of the transfer market this year. So I do expect some signings to come in. Um, a bit later and a bit closer to the deadline, which is unavoidable, 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 I think, to be honest. And, you know, we did get away with one last season. Of course we did. We stayed up on, on the last day of the season on goal difference. But, you know, there's a lot of criticism over this last season's signings. But at the end of the day, Willow got the job done. We stayed up, which was the number one objective. And we stayed up with our goalkeeper, our £30 million Brazilian striker and probably our best midfield player if you categorise Jack as an attacker, having missed most of the season. So, you know, it's really easy to be crit- critical of the players last year, but actually they got the job done. Smith did a brilliant job and um, there are some lessons that we can take into this year. So 
really positive about the the club, the ownership, and what seems to be a cohesive strategy going forward now. Yeah, no, I think that's a, it's, a, it's a good point you make there around around the signings and actually in the end they they achieved their objective, which is key. And there was an interesting article in the Guardian, uh, I think it came out yesterday, around uh, you know Dean, an interview with Dean Smith, and 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 it shows the integrity of the man that Dean Smith you know was talking about Sousa and didn't didn't throw him under the bus. And, and yeah. I'll, I'll quote this, I'll quote this from the article, and I thought it was really interesting. He said. Whatever was speculated before, I was in full agreement with the players brought in with Suso, and I will be with Johan as well. I felt for Suso last season because it was such a big turnover, and I thought we did a fantastic job doing what we did. You'll never hear a bad word about Suso from me. I really enjoyed working with him, and the club decided to go in a different direction. And he talks. He goes on. He goes on to talk about his recruitment as well, his role in recruitment, uh, and I think that's an interesting point uh, and, and something that I've seen. You know. People, Villa fans talk about, you know, what's Rob McKenzie's role? What's Johan Lang's role? How does it differ? Or, you know, what's the difference between a head of recruitment and a director of football or sporting director? Uh, and it's quite an interesting question and some, some a question that I have a bit of insight to. So luckily for me through work, I managed to work quite closely with CEOs and chairmen of football, uh, of Premier League clubs, uh, you know, sort of uh, football directors as well and footballers as well. Uh, and you manage to get good insight what goes on behind the scenes. And one question that you know that has come up time and time again when we've been talking football, as you do when you when you're working in football, is you know sort of recruitment strategy and how you find players. And I think the approach that we're taking, you know, we're moving to the modern way, and we've tried to do it before without much success. But I think you know the people we've got in, as as uh, Juggsy mentions, you know, successful businessmen who know how to run a business, who know how to put in place a strategy. I think it's going to you know hopefully lead to some success. And, and what you're seeing now is it's probably different to what you saw 10, 15, 20 years ago when, you know, the way you would do a transfer is you would say, well, I need this, I need a striker. And then you would think, well, who's the best striker in the league or who's the best striker in Europe? And we'll go for that guy. What you're seeing now is is, is a different approach where you're seeing uh, the, the football director almost set the blueprint for the team and say, this is the way that we want our football club to be run. This is the way that we want to play football. And we want this throughout, you know, the different age groups. And we sort of start, started seeing that through the Villa engine with Steve Brown, which never really paid off. Uh, you know, whatever the Villa engine was, it was more like a, a stop and start uh, process that never got going. I think what we're seeing now is that hopefully going to come to fruition. And what we're seeing is, is typically Johan Lang setting that blueprint up and then working alongside people like Rob McKenzie and Smith to say, you know, for, for that type of formation, that type of pattern of play, that type of uh, football style, what kind of attributes are you looking for? What kind of players are you looking for? You know, players with speed, players with good recovery. What kind of personality types do you want off the field as well? And there's a lot of work that goes on into that. And only then, once you've got to the position where you've identified the, basically the mould of player that you want, you then start having input from Dean Smith to say, well, these are a couple of names that I like that I think will do well. And then Rob McKenzie, obviously, is another person that brings into, is brought into play then to say, well, these are players I've identified through data analysis or just normal scouting to bring in. And then, and then only then do you go for those players and discount players that are not attainable and go forward signing. So there's a, lot, there's a, there's a lengthy process that goes on. And going back to Chadzi's point, it's probably why you know, it's taking time to get these signings in because obviously the season finished quite late because of what's happening with COVID and we were only safe on the last day so there was a lot of planning that needed to be done quite late on I think that's what you've seen yeah spot on and I think uh, that strategy and that process that you talk about is clearly for me the main reason why Dean Smith is and always will be at, at this time the right man for the job I think there was a far too much clamour to to get rid of him last season when things weren't going well and people people were throwing names in the hat like Allardyce and people like that to 
to keep us up. But I think if you've got a blueprint, you've got to have the power of your convictions to stick with it and uh, have the personnel to back that up. And obviously Smith has worked in, in a similar way at Brentford. And, um, you know, people people criticise Villa fans for backing Smith just because he's a Villa fan. But he's the right man for the job. The fact that he's a Villa fan is, is, is a nice little bonus for us. But I think we've just got to now back him, back Langer, and, and back the strategy and uh, not get too emotional week by week, depending on what the re- what the result may be. You need to relax, Jugsy, basically. You hear that, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm relaxed, mate. I'm not expecting... Well, I think with Dean last, last season, he did learn from his mistakes. So I think we were a bit more conservative, um, obviously, coming back uh, post-lockdown. Post and that worked. Obviously, we weren't the most uh, attractive in terms of watching us play every game, but we got the results and... It just goes to show that sometimes uh, we need to have a plan A and plan B. Um, I think we were quite rigid in, in our formation last season and we did try three at the back and it worked to some degree. But uh, we've got to be a bit, bit more flexible and learn from our mistakes because it's an unforgiving league, the Premier League. Um, it's very easy to go on a, on a winning lo- winning streak or, or, or a losing streak. So um, it's important that we are adaptable and um, if there's issues or problems with the team, we identify them and, and address them. So, yeah, I think Smith was, was pleased in the outcome in terms of he did his, he did his job, really. So the, the expectations were to stay up and he delivered that on the last day of the season. So it was, a, yeah, a, quite a stressful time, but he got the job done. Just, just, just talking on expectations and what, what are your expectations and, and predictions for this season, lads? Yeah, so um, again, I'm not getting too ahead of myself. Um, obviously, it's a lot of talk of top half finish, but um, all all the other teams are have invested, and some are investing just as heavy as us. So um, I think progress for me would be finishing uh, anything between sort of eleventh and fifteenth. I just don't want to be in a relegation battle and have that stress where every game is important and a lot is lying on relying on every game and we need three points. I just want to have uh, a bit of breathing space between us and the bottom three and uh, win our important game. So the derby against Baggies would be good to, to win them, uh, get a result over Leeds, I think that would be good as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that that is my sort of expectations and I think we can achieve that with what Dean uh, has brought in in terms of, in terms of the team. And uh, having a, a fit again, John McGinn, I think will be huge because we saw at the start of last season what an impact he had uh, on the team and on the Premier League. I mean, with his work rate and energy, he's sometimes one and a half players as he gets, as he gets around the pitch. So having him back fully fit, I think that will give us a bit more of a boost. And um, obviously, Jack will hopefully kick on, kick on as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good point. And I, I mean, I'm slightly more optimistic, but I think a lot depends on the the, the transfers that we bring in. I think the key for me is, uh, you know, obviously bringing in someone like Bertrand Traore and Rashika will, will be key in the forward positions. We really need to add quality there. Uh, but also, I think a position for me that we need to fill is the number eight spot. Uh, I think we rely heavily on McGinn and Grealish. And obviously now Douglas Louise are probably three of our best players. But behind that, I think there's there's little quality. I think Hurahan's good for certain type of game, especially as the bottom six or, or a game where we're going to have much of the ball. But I think, albeit he did well in post-COVID, and I thought he acquitted himself really well, and I saw a slightly different Karna Hurahan in, in post-COVID against the against the likes of Arsenal. I do think against the better teams, you know, he's he's found wanting, and I don't think he's up to that quality. Uh, and the ball, sort of, the game, sort of passes him by. So I would really like to see a, a number eight, you know, sort of physical presence. 
uh, strong, powerful, but also be able to take the game by the scruff of his neck and get in those goal-scoring positions. A bit like a modern-day Ian Taylor, I would say, would, would be fantastic. Uh, maybe someone like Decore, who's moved to Everton, obviously someone with similar attributes to that would be, would be great. And I think that if we can get those kinds of players in, then that would have a big bearing on what, what we do because uh, it ultimately improves the first team. And I think you know, top, top 10, yes, is ambitious, but I've said if we can get those players in, there's no reason why we can't achieve that. Uh, and that's what I would be aiming for. I, I agree with the the need to strengthen in that midfield area, and you know potentially at left back as well. As excited as we are getting about the signings and the positivity around around Jack's new contract, if we go into a, a Premier League season with the likes of Neil Taylor, Conor Hurahan, Henry Lansbury, Keenan Davis, Samata, you know that sort of quality of player as our Plan B options come off the bench, then. We are going to be in a relegation battle again because it's all about having a squad that's good enough to do it week in, week out. So, yes, I agree we need to strengthen in that midfield position. And one for me, which is an obvious one, is is a cover for left-back. I think Target's done well last season. And my point around being playing in a stronger defensive unit, much improved after COVID. So I'm, I'm happy with him at left-back, but we need another option there almost certainly. I don't think Neil Taylor is powerful, strong um, or, or big enough to, to play in the Premier League if I'm honest. I know there's a bit of a bit of a cult following for him now, a bit like there was for Alan Hutton but he was never good enough either and you know, it, it's no coincidence that his period at the club coincided with one of our worst periods in the last <laughs> couple of decades despite his cult, cult, you know despite his cult hero status, I loved him you know, he, he's a grafter, he ran up and down the pitch but a bit of a lack of quality. And I think that's the same for Neil Taylor, um, if I'm being honest. Just coming back to Jugsy's point around the the target or prediction of a, a finish between 11th and 15th, that's, that's definitely what I agree with. I think anything other than being dragged into a relegation battle would be a good season for me. And it would be, it would be progress, gradual progress that we need. Um, but what, how do you think the board, um, Christian Perslow, and even other fans that are, probably expecting a bit more. How do you think a season of finishing 15th with 44, 45 points would be would be received by the owners having invested so heavily? I think a lot of it would depend on the manner of the way that we do it. So if you take, look back at Lambert's first season, for example, I think by the end of that season, there was a lot of confidence, a lot of uh, uh, optimistic fan base. I think the fan base was quite optimistic because they saw a team that could improve and would improve the season after, albeit it didn't happen. Uh, they could see the signs of, of, a, of a team getting, getting together. And I think that will be the key. I think if, we're, if we've got a team there that's improving as the season goes on, then the fans will, will sort of stick with the team and keep going and stick with Smith. The key really, I think, is patience. Uh, is, is patience. I think especially with the new signs we saw that last year, is you need to give these, these players time. And you'll see, I think, a better Trezeguet. You'll see... Obviously, we've already seen a better Louise. I think Nakamba has still got a role to play. So, you know, I think it's one of, one of patients. I think it's going to be key. But but I think it's the manner of the way we achieve it. And, and also, you know, I don't know how Jack Grealish will feel about that finishing 15th. If he sees the signs of progress, then that's fine. Ultimately, we'll be in the Premier League for another season. And that will mean another another season of good revenue and, and, and another way to uh, extend the, the, you know, the wage the wage budget and bring in another again bringing quality players the season after to progress again but there's got to be there's got to be signs there that we're progressing i think that's yeah, the key yeah i think jack's not jack doesn't want to finish in the bottom half does he so the conversations he's had with the owners and dean smith i'm sure they would be saying look we're we're pushing to get in that top half of the league 
Um, and it's like you said earlier, it's a great ambition to have. You can't you can't stand still. You, you need to try and progress as much as possible. But for me, it's completely unrealistic with the, some of the teams and, and the power of the teams in that top eight or nine. And then you throw in your Wolves, your Southamptons, your Evertons have invested heavily. It's going to be an almighty challenge to get anywhere near the top 10 for me. So anyone that is listening to this, anyone that is listening to this, I just uh, urge you, please just to have a bit of patience, stick to, stick with the team no matter what and see this as a, as a long-term project for, for Villa to get back to where we belong over the next three or four years or the next three or four months. I think that's a good point. I think, you know, one thing I said at the beginning of last season was I'll take 17th. I think that was key. And I think a lot of fans said that. But the reality of actually finishing 17th is not pretty. You know, it's not going to be you're going to win game in, game out. You're not going to have many uh, away victories. You're not going to have many upsets. To finish 17th, it's going to be a bit of a struggle uh, and it's going to be tough. And I think that's what we saw. And I think uh, fans didn't like it when the reality of it actually set in. But at the end, they were quite happy with it. And I think if we do finish 11-15th, then again, it's going to be similar. You know, there's going to be times where we're going to be struggling. We're going to be hovering above that relegation zone. So again, as you say, fans need to stick with us and, and stick with the team and and and, and sort of you know, get behind the players as much as possible. You know, with, without the fans being there, how do you think that will impact the teams, especially the teams coming up? Yeah, I think obviously um, there's going to be less upsets for me. So when you, when the teams in the bottom half or the bottom six of the league play at home to your Liverpool's, Arsenal's, Cities, etc., I think there's going to be a lot less um, upsets, home victories because. We, we've seen at Villa Park the impact that a good crowd can have and the atmosphere and massive cliche, but obviously you do need that 12th man when there's such a uh, disparity really between the quality of the players on the pitch. But this season without that, I, I can see the better teams more often than not beating the weaker teams. And um, that, that for me demonstrates to us how important it is when we do play teams in and around us or within that sort of middle tier of the league, we have to capitalise because yeah, fine, we beat Arsenal 1-0 for last season, but a bit of a freak result for me. I can't see us beating many of the top four or five. So, you know, Sheffield United, Fulham, those first couple of games, it's absolutely crucial to get points on the board. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good point. And it'd be interesting to see how we get on. Obviously, the first game for Villa, uh, the season already, obviously some teams have already started started the campaign off. Our first game's on Monday against Sheffield United. An interesting Game it was the first game that we had pro uh, pro lockdown uh, post lockdown. Jugsy, what are your thoughts on Sheffield United? Uh, did you watch much of them against Wolves, and how, how do you think we'll fare, and how do you think we'll set up against them? Yeah, I saw a bit of the game. I think it's a good opportunity for us to get a result there. Um, Sheffield United, obviously, uh, many are saying they may suffer from second season syndrome, but um, I think Wilder is smart enough to make sure that doesn't happen. Um, they haven't really invested heavily into the squad yet. I know they're looking uh, for a striker at the minute, which they're struggling to to find. So they've got the budget yet there for a big striker, but they're currently reliant on uh, Billy Sharp um, and um, Ollie, Ollie McBurney. So um, I think that is an area where they're probably their weakest. They need, they need a, a proper goal scorer. Um, yeah, as, as, um, as, as we all know, they had quite a bit of success last season. Um, Wilder obviously has got a playing playing style that worked well in the championship and um, is high energy uh, working with the overlapping centre backs. So I think they're going to set set up the same. Um, there'll be no sort of any of the players that they've brought that will come into the side. I don't think. Um, so they've brought uh, Ampadu from Chelsea on loan and they've brought a couple of full backs from Derby. But I think they're more going to be 
for squad depth than than first team starters. Um, but I think we've got a definite definite opportunity. I mean, they lost two 0 to Wolves, uh, but they let two goals in within six minutes. And I think defensively they looked a bit shaky. Um, they just looked a bit exposed where they were too high up the pitch, and the uh, Wolves basically played on the counter and and, and did pretty well early on. Um, Sheffield did settle back into the game, um, but didn't look like they're going to create too much. Um, I think a lot of obviously the teams have cotton on to how they play with the overlapping centre backs. Uh, and a better set up against it. Um, I think they've got quite big expectations for uh, Sander Burge, which is the centre midfielder they brought last last January transfer window. Um, he's a player to look out for if he starts on Monday. Um, he, he'll, he'll be quite an interesting one to watch this season. He's, he's got massive potential and uh, a potential player that you know, I mean, can really push him on to the next level. Um, obviously, I think last season uh, that that. That VAR call that we had in our favour, um, there's still a bit of niggle with that with their fans. Obviously, there was plenty of plenty of time in that game left to play, but it'd be interesting, really, on Monday to see how we get on. Yeah, and I think uh, it was an interesting game against Wolves. I, I thought I'd, I'd pretty much agree with that summary of the game. Uh, I thought Wolves did really well defensively, actually, because Sheffield United did you know to bombard their box with crosses, which is what they tend to do with the overlapping centre backs. Uh, and Wolves defended really well, Bolly and Cody there at the back, and and Sace as well. You know they had a bit of height there, and I think one thing that we are good at, uh, especially post uh, post COVID and you know post the lockdown, was defending balls in our box. It, we seem to be much better at that, and I think Matty Cash will help, obviously help with that, uh, being 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 slightly taller than Gilbert. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how we we do against that. And I think target actually one area of targets game which I think he is pretty decent at is in, is in the air. Uh, yes, you know there's 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 uh, doubts over his recovery and his pace, but I think in the air he, he's pretty decent. He does attack the ball, so hopefully we can we can be resolute at the back. And then the key again will be how we go forward and and, and attack well and, and create chances. Uh, I can't work out, lads. Is it would a draw be a good result? I don't think it's a bad result. I don't think it's a bad result. If, if we want to improve, we need to win our home games. But Sheffield United such a strong side last year, whether they finish eighth or ninth in the end. So, would you take a point to get the season up and running? Um, it's a really interesting one. But I think I think Smith will very much like us not want to be scrapping around for points in the last four or five games, and therefore, obviously, a home game to start the season, we've we've got to go for it. I think get off to a good positive start and um, get those get the new lads settled in with three points. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, again, last last season, post post lockdown, that first game of the season, we did all look back at that and thinking, should we have given it an extra push to get the three points? And we didn't do because we were quite conservative in the last fifteen twenty minutes, and we did look look back and regret that. So again, I think it's good to get off to a positive start and go for the win. Um, I think Dean Dean Smith's that type of manager, um, so I think we'll go for it. And um, again. Similar tactics to last season, where we're going to be a bit, bit, bit more solid at the back. So, with McGinn, um, obviously he was quite advanced at the start of last season. He was ended up in that right wing position, but obviously, in the most recent games, he's more playing alongside Douglas Louise um, and being a bit more conservative with his forward runs to try and try and time the runs. So, I think that'll be the, the common theme again for the next few games, where McGinn will be um, sharing the defensive workload with Douglas. And um, Huran obviously will will try and uh, work with Grealish and Target on the left hand side. Do you think we'll see that formation more often now that that four two three one formation rather than the 
sort of four three three that we saw last year? Do you think we'll see that more, especially in away games, we'll add a bit more solidity to the team? Yeah, I think I think we will. Um, again, with with Hurahan, it's difficult because you probably don't want him to be the attacking of, out of the three. You probably want McGinn to do that because obviously he's got a bit more ability in the in the final third in terms of um, scoring goals and yeah, he's, he's again. Uh, probably has more attacking instincts than Hurahan. Hurahan's good, obviously, edge of the box in terms of playing the three balls or, or taking shots from distance. But I think ideally you want Grealish in that in that position of um, the the part of the attacking three and begin holding with Douglas. So until we sign an adequate winger, I think we'll probably have Douglas holding and McGinn and Hurahan pretty much similar positions as two number eights in midfield, I think. Interesting. So what, in terms of the Sheffield United game, then what are your predictions, Shazzy? What do you think? How do you think the game will pan out? Uh, what, do you, what do you think the final score will be? I think it'll be cagey. Um, they obviously won't want to lose two games back-to-back to start the season. Uh, they're, they're a quality side um, and they've taught us a few lessons over the last few years, um, especially a couple of those away games when we played them. Um, at Bramall Lane and their, their side is very similar to that a couple of years on ours is very different obviously I'm going to I'm going to predict a 1-0 win for Villa hopefully we can start the season with a clean sheet and with a bit more pace um, with Watkins on the break and potentially one of our new signings um, coming off the flanks Trezeguet obviously carrying on his form from the end of last season I'm confident we can we can nick a goal and, and be pretty solid and, and start with a solid 1-0 win Good, good. I like it. I like it. Optimistic. Good. Jugsy, your thoughts? Yeah, I think we're going to surprise a few. I'm quite optimistic about Monday. So I'm thinking 2-0 win. I've just got a good feeling about it. I think we'll catch him off guard. I think we've had a couple of good performances in the friendlies and against Burton Albion. I think Grealish being the X factor, I think Grealish will, will turn it on. He looks fit. He looks sharp. And uh, with McGinn there to support him, I think I think we'll surprise him. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think uh, I think it'll be closer than that slightly, but I think the overall performance will be good. Uh, the key will be how we defend, I think, uh, and I think we'll win two one. Uh, so to get to get off the season off to a start with with three points would be fantastic, and that game will be live on Sky. At, I think at six o'clock. So uh, we all look forward to that, and hopefully we can get off to a winning start. So th- thank you for that, boys. It was quite an interesting look to to the season ahead as well, and the game on Monday. And a sort of look back as well, nostalgic look back at seasons gone by there with the uh, with the with sort of the, the signings that made you really excited. Before we sort of finish the show, uh, we always like to have a bit of interactivity with our guests. Uh, and a common theme that we'll have throughout these podcasts will be the guest challenge. Uh, and the way it will work is every time we have new guests on the podcast, there will be a different challenge. And whichever guest wins that challenge will go forward into the final round, which will be the end of the season, which will be an end of season quiz. Uh, and all things Aston Villa and everything that's gone on throughout the season, uh, where there will be a, a major prize. Uh, and when I say major, I mean major. Uh, so something to look forward to. So I've got a little bit of a challenge for you today. Uh, and this is a this is actually a suggestion of Chadzi's, this game, albeit he doesn't obviously know the answer because that would completely negate the point of this challenge. Uh, what we're going to do is guess the missing player game. So uh, what I've done is I've looked at back at the starting lineup of our First ever game in the Premier League against Ipswich, uh, where we drew 1-1 back in 1992. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to name the starting eleven, and I'm going to miss out a player. And what I want you to do is text me the answer of the missing player 
and whoever gets it right moves on to the uh, moves on to the final round. If both of you get it wrong, then I've got a uh, backup question that you can answer. And if you get that wrong, well, then you're never going to be on the show again. So right, so I'm going to go and name the starting eleven, and I'm going to going to miss out a player. You tell me who it is. So I'm not going to tell you what position it is. You have to guess. All right, you ready? Go for it. Yeah. All right. Nigel Spink in goal. Earl Barrett, Paul McGrath, Sean Teal, Stephen Staunton, Tony Daly, Ray Houghton, Stephen Froggart, Kevin Richardson, Dalian Atkinson. So there's a, there's a player missing there. I want you to text me as soon as you can. Obviously, don't take too long because uh, we, we want this podcast to be under an hour, not too long. And, and send me your answers and I'll let you know if you've got it right. So chadsey has gone for Guy Whittingham. Uh, as uh, as the player, I can tell you that is the wrong answer. And Jugsy has gone for Dean Saunders. Well, again, I'm afraid to say that is the wrong answer. We didn't, we didn't sign Saunders till the following season because I've got the video season review of that and I watched it a hundred times when I was a kid. So the actual answer was Gary Parker. Oh, I was going to say Gary Parker. Oh, that's he played four five one obviously in that, that yeah. back in those days. So the back of question is who scored our one and only goal that game. First one to answer Ooh. wins. This is going to be embarrassing, isn't it? Dalian Atkinson, I'm going for. Yep, Jugsy, bang on, spot on. It was Dalian Atkinson. So congratulations, you moved through to the final round. Thank uh, you. That game was 1-1. One, one. Uh, a player called Gavin Johnson scored for this, which I have no idea. Although I see Jason Dazal was playing, one of my favourite ever players in the early 90s. Um, but yeah, 1-1. One, one. Well done, Jugsy. Congratulations. Sorry, Chadzi. You're out, mate. You can't win your own game. You can't win at your own game. Well, so well done, boys. Thank you for thank you for your time today. Hope the listeners enjoyed that. I thought it was a really interesting uh, conversation we had there, uh, just under an hour, talking all things Villa. Interesting look back at the window and 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 what's remaining of the window and, and looking ahead of the the season ahead and the game on Monday. Um, this podcast is very much a platform for you fans, for you Villa fans, to have your say. So if you would love to be a guest on this show, then please do let us know. We'd love to have you. Uh, if you can bring some knowledge, expertise, or a bit of banter, or anything different to this podcast, then we'd love to have you. So please do get in touch. Our Twitter handle is Villa Podcast, or one word. Uh, I've set up the Instagram and, and Facebook pages as well, and I'll be tweeting those out. And We will have different shows. You know, We've got different shows coming up. We've got one uh, post-transfer window closing where we'll have a... Uh, uh, someone in the in the recruitment team of a League One team who's very well established and experienced will be talking about our transfers and giving his say on and how he thinks they will do and, and the players that we've targeted. Uh, we'll also have uh, some other guests across the Villa Twitter sphere and also our friends from VillaTalk.com who will be joining us to talk all things Villa. Uh, there'll be plenty of guests also uh, from inside the football industry as well. So Villa fans who work in the industry, non-Villa fans who work in the industry. We'll be able to give you that little bit of insight into what goes on behind the scenes in, in football clubs and what you should be aware of and any sort of common misconceptions that are, that are there out in, in the football world. So I hope that was enjoyable. Uh, please do subscribe to our podcast. Uh, I have no idea how you do that right now because I haven't even hosted the podcast yet and set it up. But this is our first ever one. So hopefully things will only get better, as they say. Boys, thank you for your time. Thanks, Thanks Ames. Ames. And See you next time. Up the villa. Up the villa.